0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition.
1: What's the kingdom return for what I put in you? It's something to really consider everybody. Because when you got the Holy Spirit, my Bible tells me right here, everyone got a gift. One of the many gifts listed in Corinthians and Romans. But whatever which one it is, have you used it? Have you worked it? Have you developed it? Have you sown it? Have you ministered to other people through that gift?
0: When you accepted Jesus into your life, did you realize that you were being filled with His divine power? Do you spend every day using this power to pour out His love to the world? In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to be using your gifts to further God's gospel in everything you do. Never forget the great commission set before you. Don't waste what God has given you and change the world in His name. Be a difference maker and grow closer than ever before to the heart of God. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of 1 Peter chapter four as he continues his message, arm yourselves.
1: So look what he says, for this reason, The gospel was preached to those who are dead. Who's the dead? That they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So who's the dead? Who's this talking about? The word that Peter uses for preach, euangelion, it's evangelize. It means a joyful message. It's the good news. So the word for preach here. Is, is not the kind of preaching that is saying to, to whoever hears it, uh, judgment is on the way. No, in other words, it's not a bad news message. Whoever this is, the dead, it's good news. He's telling them good news. Yeah. That's why words matter. So, Peter is likely referring to the men who, when still alive had heard the gospel and been saved. And because of their new Christian life, they were harshly judged by the kind of men he's just talked about in verse five, right? They're gonna answer for all the terrible things they said against the believers. The ungodly are gonna answer for it. I I believe the thought carries to verse six, all right? So verse six is talking about those that heard the good news, got saved, got all kinds of grief for it, finally died or were martyred. And because of their new Christian life, they were judged by those wicked men. And though judged by wicked men while on earth, they are now alive by the Spirit resting with Jesus. Now that makes sense to me. All right? So he's talking about people that had heard it, got saved, got grief for it, or were killed for it. Could have happened in Peter's day, easy. They could have been martyred. So they died, but now they're alive in the Spirit and they're with God. And I think that's the most sensible interpretation. Again, I'm not saved or lost for what I think about this verse. Amen? Amen. And neither are you. Now next, Peter deals with the question, how shall we as believers live in the midst of a wicked world that is persecuting our faith and threatening our lives. How shall we then live? Francis Schaefer wrote that famous book with the famous title, How Shall We Then Live? How do, how do you live in a culture that is getting darker and darker? I had a radio caller, and, um, you know, I do to every man an answer from five to six every Wednesday, and I'm talking to the whole United States of America. And, um, I think his call was from Kentucky. And he said, what do you do with John 9, 4, where Jesus said, work while it is day, because night comes when no man can work. He said, what does that verse mean? What did Jesus mean? I said, the word day is only a metaphor for a time of opportunity. Work while it's the the time of opportunity. Work while you can. Do the works of God preach the gospel of Christ, reach the world, be the light, be the salt, shine for him, leave the biggest footprint you can for the glory of God, Uh, extend yourself, reach out while you can, while it's day. Because the night comes when opportunity will be gone and no man can work. And I said to this man, I said, I want you to note that there are freedoms we had 30 years ago that are under incredible attack right now. You know, a teacher can't quote a Bible verse. A a coach can't pray on the football field without being dragged into court or fired. Uh, There's all kinds of things that 30 years ago you you could have done and nobody would have hardly blinked. But now they are verboten, forbidden. You're you're attacked. you, You experience consequences. If you expressed... 30 years ago that you disagreed with a person's moral lifestyle. Uh, You might've gotten into a debate with somebody, but you weren't called a bigot, a homophobe, a right-wing extremist, a, well, all kinds of wonderful adjectives that I can't say in church. And, and lose your job over it, lose your, Uh, friendships over it, uh, uh, be prosecuted for it. No, that didn't happen. But now, night cometh when no man can work. England's about five years ahead of us in its departure from God. And right now in England and in Canada, there's Christians being arrested routinely. Canada, I read of a, a pastor was arrested Easter weekend, put in jail in Canada, our neighbor, Put it in jail. And and Canada is closed to the gospel. And, and Canada went that way 30, 40 years ago. See, there, there's a verse in Jeremiah that's always haunted me. And it's, it, I think it struck me at first because it's very poetic. It, I love the, the play on words and the metaphors that are used. But here's what it says. The sh- it's very short. The shadows of the evening are lengthening. Now, Jeremiah said that about the people of Judah and how the sun was setting on them, the sun of God's favor, the sun of opportunity to repent and turn. The sun was setting. And when the sun sets, the shadows are lengthened. All right? When the sun is over, straight overhead, there's not much of a shadow that you leave. It's straight out. But as the sun sets, longer shadows. And Jeremiah said to Judah, where you're concerned, the shadows are lengthening. And I want to tell you, in America, the shadows are lengthening. So I told this man, we have a chance now. Still, we can do things. We need to do it now. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul said in Ephesians 4, for the days are evil. So you got to do what you can do when you can do it. That's free. That wasn't in any of this. I just threw that out. So how shall we as believers live as the shadows are lengthening? And the sun is setting, not on you and me, because the path of the justice is the shining light and it gets brighter and brighter to the perfect day. But as far as our nation is concerned, I want to tell you, the shadows are lengthening. So how do we live here? Well, Peter tells us, he tells us first what we should serve. Everybody say serve. Serve. Verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Everybody say amen. Amen. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your what, everyone? In your prayers. So what are we to serve? The place of prayer. We're to serve in the place of prayer. The Christians of the first century believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. It had only been three decades since Jesus had ascended right in front of them and disappeared in the clouds. So it was very easy for them to imagine him returning before they died. And so... They, they believe that. We got to remember that even Jesus had told them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The father is set by his own authority. Not for you to know. Don't get all fixed on times and dates. When I hear somebody come out with a new time for Christ's return, I say, Not again. Would you stop it? How many people have you won to Christ this week? Quit talking about dates and times because I guarantee you, when somebody says, Here's the day he's coming back, I promise you they're wrong. It's a guarantee they're wrong because no man knows. Isn't that what it said? No man knows. The timing of his return is to remain a mystery. And while we ourselves are to focus on preaching the gospel, which is what I I intend to do, and we're gonna do it together. We're gonna preach the gospel to the whole world. As as much as God lets us do, we're going to the whole world. We're we're gonna sound it out worldwide. As much as God lets us do, with the help of God, we're gonna take it far and wide. Somebody said, when are you gonna quit, Jeff? I said, when I can't get there anymore. And then I'll pray. Never gonna quit. Quit is not in the Bible. Transition is, but not quit. Amen. I rode my bike today. I'm doing great. I listen. But anyway. So an expectant Simon Peter urges God's people to be sober, watchful, and to serve God in prayer. Sober, by the way, he said, be sober and watchful. Sober means literally unintoxicated. It's about having presence of mind so you can make clear judgments. Uh, It's to be self-controlled. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you don't lose control. He brings self-control. Because what your problem and mine, we didn't have self-control before we got saved. But now he brings self-control. It's to have your wits about you, being sober, uh, clear-headed. The opposite of being irrational which is where our country is right now, irrational. It means to think and act discreetly, to use sound judgment and practice moderation. So we're to be sober, alert, watchful, aware, prayerful, as the return of Christ comes closer. Amen. We're to be on our toes, not on our back, asleep in the light. Peter's point is that Jesus could come at any time. Be ready. Amen? Amen. So first we're to serve him in prayer. Then he tells us what we must show. He says in verse 8, Above all things, we have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So what we're to serve and what we're to show. We're to show love. We're to show love. Now fervent is a great word. It comes from a Greek word that means to be extended to be stretched out. Picture a a rubber band, and you pull it as tight as you can get away with until you know it's going to pop. He's saying, stretch your love. Stretch your capacity to love people. Work at it. Extend it. Try it. Do it. Go the second mile. Love the brethren. The world that Peter and them, when Peter wrote this, the world they were living in, hated them. Didn't just dislike them, hated them. And I'm going to tell you, folks, there's a hatred towards Christianity growing in America before our very eyes. Not just a dislike or an apathy, a hatred. A hatred. Now, what's the antidote? Well, you know what? That's when you really need one another. You need the family of God. Because Peter said, we're in a very hostile world. So I want you, church, to learn to love one another. And you, church, pull in the slack of what no one is getting from that world. You pull in the slack. You fervently stretch your love. Uh, Extend yourself. Come out of yourself. Come out of your shell. Come out of your selfishness. And extend yourself and love one another fervently, intensely, the agape kind of love. Do you know the agape, agape, that word we all know, the Greek word, agape, love? Do you know that's the kind of word that has no dependence on emotion? No, it's a decision. God so agape the world, he decided to love the world. Agape doesn't need some overwhelming romantic sense of love or affection. That's not what agape love is. That's eros. That's the other, uh, another Greek word for love, eros. That, that's romantic uh, love. But, but agape love is you make up your mind, I'm going to love these people. If they got purple hair, green hair, no hair, if they're not dressed like me, if they don't look like me, I'm going to love them anyway if they're covered in the blood of the Lamb. Yeah, we're to be thoughtful, and we're to be forgiving. And we're to be kind, not easy to do. That's why he said, choose it with agape love. Choose it. When Channel 8 interviewed us, Good Morning Texas, we were interviewed by, it's a weird thing. The producer heard about us by meeting somebody in a um, physical therapy session. And, And this person said, Oh, oh yeah, I go to Turning Point and they got this motorcycle club. Well, the producer went, well, that'd be a great show. So, so here, me and several of our, our uh, honor-bound motorcycle riders with their vests on and all the patches and all this other stuff, we went into the green room where all the other guests were. And let me tell you, you talk about a melting pot. I mean, there was a Hollywood actor in there. Listen, you could have cut the tension with a knife. Because here comes Jesse Arriaga, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. And we're in this, this green room with people that are about as far away from Jesus as you could get. And here comes all of our motorcycle guys, great big crosses on their vests, you know. And everybody's calling me pastor, this and that and the other. And boy, the light came on and the cockroaches were running. No, they weren't cockroaches. They, we had good talks with all of them. I, I got to talking to the actor. He was being real cool to me. And he's been in movies with Sly Stallone, with Affleck, with several others. His resume is really lengthy. And you're saying, well, what was his name? I knew you were going to ask me that. Michael somebody. Can't remember his last name. Anyway, um, I tried talking to him and he put his shades on. (laughs) And like, I'm not into talking. So I thought, how can I get to him? And I thought... Of course, his ego. I'll find out what he's been in. And I'll ask him to take a picture with me. So I found out what he was in. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Michael, my wife won't believe that I got my picture taken with you. Boy, those shades came off. He lit up like a light bulb. He put his arm around me and we took this picture. And all of a sudden the ice was broken and he's telling me all about his father. Be a bridge builder always. Anyway, that's free too. So next, Peter tells us what we're to shoulder. What we're to shoulder. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Uh Uh-oh. Now he's telling us to open our homes. To be inconvenienced by people that need a place. This is a likely reference to travelers, uh, traveling believers actually, busy about the Lord's work and needed a place to stay. They traveled town to town. And there was no public welfare in Peter's day. There were no holiday inns, uh, no places to go. So he's telling the believers, take them in. When they come through your town, take the believers in. They're, They're on a God journey. They're doing God's work. So take them in. Don't hold them out. Don't leave them in the street. Bring them in. Not only that, the people were always watching to seize Christians. So to bring them in would sometimes be to save their life. Peter says, don't grumble. Take your brethren in. Take your brethren in. Amen. Amen. So Peter has told us what to serve, what to show, and what to shoulder. And finally, he tells us what to share. Verse 10, as each one has received a gift. How many have received a gift? Each one. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. If you're born again, raise your hand. Okay, can I tell you, definitively, you've got a gift. You've got a God-given gift. Not a talent you were born with, but a gift from the Spirit of God inside of you. So he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So this is what we share. This is what we're to share. That's why our church is so big on everybody getting involved and nobody remaining a pew warmer. God didn't call us to be on the bleachers. He called us to be in the game. So we're to share our spiritual gifts with one, with one another. Every one of us, we're to share our spiritual gift, whatever it is. The phrase good stewards, it's interesting. It's from a Greek word used of a manager who's responsible to care for somebody else's estate. As believers, we have received gifts from above. We don't own them. We are stewards of them. We're stewards of them. Remember the parable of the talents? The one with five talents invested them, earned five more. The one with two talents invested them, earned two more. But the one with one did nothing with the talent, but buried it. And Jesus called him a wicked and a lazy servant when he came back. So when Jesus gives you and I a gift, In the kingdom's mind, it's an investment. And we are stewards. And you know what, we're we're gonna answer, not for sin, but for what's the return on the gift I gave you. I want you to really think about that. What's the return? I gave you a gift. You say, Pastor, I don't even know what it is, but here's the deal. Whatever the gift is that he gave you, The Bible lifts a lot of gifts. Whichever one he gave you, he sees it as an investment. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to sow it? Who's going to be touched by it? What's the kingdom return for what I put in you? It's something to really consider everybody. Because when you got the Holy Spirit, my Bible tells me right here, everyone got a gift. One of the many gifts listed in Corinthians and Romans. But whatever which one it is, have you used it? Have you worked it? Have you developed it? Have you sown it? Have you ministered to other people through that gift? 1 Corinthians 3, at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, My works are going to be tried and your works are going to be tried. How did we sow them? And if we sowed our gift to the glory of God and other people were touched by it, then it's gold, silver, and precious stones, and it survives the testing fire. But if we didn't sow it and we live for ourselves, and nobody was really much impacted by our faith or our walk, or our gift. It's wood, hay, and stubble, and it burns up. And you're still saved, yet so as by fire. I like to say, by the skin of your chinny chin chin. You still get in, but isn't it sad without a reward? How has my gift been used? Has it been used? Do I even know what it is? And am I working it, developing it, maturing it, using it? A good illustration is the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The waters of the Jordan River flow into the Sea of Galilee from the north. All right? So the, the Jordan River feeds the Sea of Galilee. I've been in both. I baptized people in the Jordan River. And so I ate a fish that I caught in the Sea of Galilee. But here's the deal. At the south end, the Jordan flows out again. So the Jordan flows in from the north and out in the south. So water comes in, water goes out. But the Dead Sea receives water from the Jordan, but it gives nothing back. Nothing flows out. Water just flows in, but nothing flows out. And so we call it dead. It's the Dead Sea. I've been there, too. You don't want to swim in that thing. It's nasty. Why? Because nothing flows out. God intended us to be a Sea of Galilee, not a Dead Sea.
0: In today's word from Pastor Jeff, he showed you how to turn adversity into a catalyst for spiritual growth. When facing life's obstacles, let your hardships change you into the resilient and empathetic individual you've always strived to be. View suffering as an instrument for fostering development in godly character. As you experience the storms of life, never forget the path of growing in your communion with the Lord, modeling your character after the perfect love of Jesus.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Jeff Wickwire from Hardwired, and I've got something really special to share with you. For a gift of $20 or more, we're going to send you a beautiful Hardwired pen and a bright LED flashlight with an attached keychain. It's blue in color and bordered in copper, and it's very pretty. It's our gift to you for supporting Hardwired. The set also contains a built-in stylus for your touchscreen devices. So to claim your gift set, visit our website at hardwired.org and just donate $20 or more and click the donate now button in the top right corner. And thanks so much for being a part of the Hardwired family. And I assure you, every dollar that comes in is gonna go straight to reaching the world with the Word of God. Have a blessed week. And I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's coming up on the next
0: edition of Hardwired. Do you find it difficult to overcome your challenges? What do you do when you don't know how to move on? In his upcoming message, Pastor Jeff reminds you to never allow yourself to dwell on the pain and suffering that this earth brings. Despite your challenges, cultivate a mindset that transcends your worldly afflictions. Redirect your focus towards God's promises of hope and redemption. Embrace the resilience found in navigating difficulties with a perspective anchored in faith and discover a pathway to enduring peace and purpose. Thanks for taking time to be with us today as we studied God's Word. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Jeff, visit hardwired.org. On behalf of Pastor Jeff and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again right here on Hardwired.